Welcome to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sanjo Gall. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers. Now, here's Sanjo Gall. Hello and uh, welcome to CTN. To learn more about the show, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. And the topic for today is sustaining an employee-driven culture of innovation. So the year 2020 has taught us a lot. We became very candid and even vulnerable among our peers and even with the people who we work with. We had a lot of stress, but we came together came up with some great ideas, and we tried things which we may have never tried earlier. But then this creativity and persistence should not just be limited to us trying to deal with a crisis. Hopefully, we can take this newly found muscle, if you will, of innovation within the organization and take it beyond the time that we are facing today, that is the crisis, and let it happen in such a way that it creates a uh, culture of innovation that transcends leadership, transcends, you know, the time. That's the hope and that's the prey. But there is a science to this madness, part art, part science, and that's what we are here to discuss. My guest is Danielle Maurice Arnone, Chief Information Officer with Racket Benkeiser. Hey, Danielle, how are you? I'm doing great. And you? Very good. Thank you so much. And uh, so as I have kind of set the stage, let's start with what you've seen happening within your organization. So when you look at the disruption, as with any other business, I'm sure you saw it too because of pandemic, what kind of innovation did that trigger? Yeah, well, firstly, um, Reckit is playing in a lot of the categories that were in very high demand, you know, during 2020 and and even into now. So we are uh, in business to make hygiene, health, and nutrition products. And so you can imagine, you know, the shifting consumer behavior that necessitated really just, you know, living life very, very differently, whether it was about, you know, taking care of your home, um, spending obviously more time at home, not being able to see the doctor. And so a lot of the products and solutions that we brought to market, we had to think about ways to connect with consumers differently. And it also afforded us to enter into new business models um, beyond, you know, just individuals' homes into very large institutional um, customer bases that we had never, you know, played in before. So for RB, uh, it was an incredible year of learning as well as execution. So a lot of small actions that resulted in very, very big results for us. So when you talk about innovation, right, some people may call building a better mousetrap as an innovation. Some people will do a very small shift, which was well thought out, or it was a spark that came from somewhere within the organization. You execute on it, and it does give you quantum results. You call that as innovation. But then people also say, hey, keep these sparks coming, but one or two come and then they die. What have you seen, even during the crisis? Did, did only a few sparks fly, or is there an ongoing barrage of the same? I, I think it's a little bit mixed. The, the ability to be intentional around innovation is really key, and looking for those bright spots is very, very important because of the 
pressures and demands on employees to really do their day job. So positioning innovation as part of the day job is important. Also connecting new ideas to competitive advantage and to you know, the overarching transformation. I think that's really key to keep the momentum going. And then looking for you know, where do we have resistance? Where do we have blockers to keep bright spots going? Um, and where does it make sense to continue versus where does it make sense to you know, maybe abandon an idea um, and start prototyping a new one? Now, I'm sure nobody expected what happened in the last year. And you did not even know what muscle existed when it comes to innovation or, you know, pivoting in a heartbeat or whatever else. What's the revelation in terms of the DNA and what were those muscles which existed and they were very strong or at least strong enough to give you this innovation streak? I love this question. I think, you know, there's such a tremendous force um, in, in human beings to, you know, manage through crisis with, you know, a can-do attitude. And that's certainly what we saw for an extended period of time, a very entrepreneurial, um, very customer-focused, you know, seeking opportunities, figuring out how we can do it without some of the same constraints, um, you know, constraints of being afraid to fail because, you know, any, everything was on the table, And I think that made people feel more relaxed. It made everyone become more unified around a common purpose. Um, And as a result, people took more risks um, to bring up things and to try things. So uh, I am excited, as you said in the beginning, about continuing this momentum. Um, But for sure, there was a real fighting spirit that came through in 2020. See, one is to have a spark. Another is to light a fire using it. Mm-hmm. Two different, I mean, I'd say one is a trigger, another is the outcome. How well should an organization be positioned to take any spark, no matter crisis or no crisis, convert that into a fire? I, I think, as I was saying before, you know, making innovation part of everyone's job and creating a reward system around innovation and, you know, giving the right signals from leadership and the right sponsorship behind it that, you know, we want the spark to ignite a fire and the creative energy that we saw, you know, coming through in 2020 is something that we want to sustain and, that we want to move from a very siloed way of working. So each discipline, you know, sort of doing their own thing to a much more collaborative approach so that we can achieve a much more exponential result. Like, for example, as I was speaking about, um, you know, my company was able to take uh, key product lines, Lysol, Dettol being examples, and be able to, you know, put those into you know, very, very large institutional accounts. And that was not just R&D, that was R&D supply, you know, a connected network of teams that really came together to make that opportunity real. So when you're trying to do any of this, and I'm sure looking back, hindsight is twenty twenty. could you have done any differently or you just were plain lucky that everything fell in place and, and every spark converted into a huge fire? I think there were a lot of things that we got right. Um, Certainly, you know, one of the things that we watch out for is making sure that 
employees are taken care of as you know we're taking on more and more um, opportunities being on the right side of some of these macro trends you know how thinking about how to um, balance the portfolio and how to ensure that the growth that we've experienced is sustained over time so those are the kinds of things that we think a lot about um, while remaining very you know focused on the future and you know getting ahead of the trends so a lot of what was happening during COVID in real time, as you know, as you're highlighting, um, that's a reactive mode. I think what you know we're aspiring to do is figuring out how to be proactive. So there's been you know several new acquisitions, and I think that that's positioning us to have you know a very diverse portfolio um, to be successful. You know, as as we move through to the other side. So if it was business and you as usual right? The leadership chops you have or your business counterparts have, your mid-management or your lieutenants have, that would have been fully capitalized and you would have exploited every opportunity. And even with whatever you had done to build the core culture of the company, where employees were all motivated and they were uh, incented to uh, go ahead and maximize the potential, that would have been, you know, uh, that, that was almost predictable that you would have done beautifully well, in, in normal circumstances. But because of the, the type of environment that we were in, in the individual, their family's well-being was at stake. The business's well-being was uncertain or at stake. Organizational leaders and employees were learning new things and were struggling. I mean, I'm not saying struggling is a bad thing here, but still it's something new. You're navigating through uncharted territories. To what degree would you say you had to course correct for you to still be able to come out as a winner? I think it's ongoing. You know, the uncertainty that we experienced last year is is continuing, you know, whether it's in the, the lives of employees, you know, not really returning back to any type of a normal daily life, um, you know, that that continues to inform as well as the overall you know, macro trends and the markets that we play in. That uncertainty, you know, is very much with us. So I think a lot about, you know, you talk about forming these muscles, the muscles that will continue to help us ideate and learn and commercialize in a way that keeps that very lean, that very agile um, capability in place. So um, that's really where we take all of the great work and the platforms that we've built, you know, the R&D platforms, the go-to-market platforms, and we layer in, you know, an innovation ecosystem that's going to help us, you know, continue to be very, very competitive um, in in the markets uh, that, you know, we, we have become more dominant in. One is to be a sprinter. Another is to be a marathon runner. If somebody had to wear a mindset in, you know, supporting and being the evangelist and someone who, who is a catalyst to innovation in these times, which one would you embrace? An agile, when you use the word agility, which kind of maps to being a sprinter. But mm-hmm. can you truly be a sprinter 
and a marathon runner or trained for both of them at the same time? That looks highly unlikely, but I would love for you to shed some light on it. <laughs> yeah, I know. I think it's the ideal state. You know, I do some running on my own. And when you're training for a long race, you're often doing sprint drills um, because you want to have as much um, variety as you can in, in your routine. So part of it is having the right idea at the right time which you know, I think we've highlighted a couple examples of that in, for my company in the last year. And being able to bring those ideas to life very, very quickly in order to really drive that learning. The learning is really the ongoing piece of it. And that's where I think the marathon comes in is companies' ability to commit to the, the long-term ecosystem that needs to develop around evaluating the risks, evaluating the opportunities, um, giving the right measurements as well. So part of sprinting versus marathon, and sometimes, you know, you're, you're thinking about um, the long term while executing in the short term. And I think that's kind of the ideal balance that you want to strike um, with rapid experimentation and very deliberate and intentional um, you know, avenues that you get into um, to to really foster the collaboration. Because without the collaboration, you really can't get, you know, the muscle moving and sustaining it for a long period of time. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And let's go a little spiritual if you can. When I say spiritual means what's happening outside of us. If I were to just think, it's like a movie or something which we cannot control, but not at the same time feel that we are out of control on how we feel inside, then we can control our fear, uncertainty, and doubts. And think about now your employees. They did not sign up for the warp speed digital transformation, or maybe they signed up, but they didn't think the pandemic would hit. What would you do that organization as a, a organizational leadership continues to go that route of uh, building the best digital environment, serving the customers the best, even though there are, change, like there are changes in their thinking and the way they want things from you as products or services. But at the same time, turn these people or rather heal your own people inside out enough that this outside perception of everything is going to be a doomsday doesn't touch them as much so that they continue to listen to you, continue to follow your leadership and allow you to maintain that streak of innovation and allow you to continue to build that culture of innovation. What would you do? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back and explore. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, 
IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjoke All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoke All at CIOTalkNetwork.com. Are you holding back from embarking on your transformation journey due to the uncertainty of business value and associated risks? What if you had a partner who could contractually guarantee cost, time, and effort saving, and new revenue potential from day one? Introducing Digital Managed Services by Hexaware. With its unique model, Hexaware turbocharges your digital transformation across both front and back office operations and delivers it at lower cost, reduced effort, improved efficiency, and higher straight-through processing while opening new avenues of revenue generation contractually guaranteed from day one. To learn more, visit Hexaware.com today. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjoe Gall. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. So I touched on spirituality. Well, this is not a spirituality show, but we are still dealing with people, and people have to respond, not react, respond to what's happening outside and also what they feel inside. And if the organization wants each of these individuals to feel good about themselves, good about the situation, feel that they're in control, only then they would do things which the organization wants. Means you got to make these people heal and strengthen from inside out. And that doesn't mean only people on the front line. It also means people at the leadership level, because even this was unprecedented. What did you do, Daniel, along working along with your management for yourself, with yourself, and with the people who you're leading? I think first is just recognizing that you know every leader, every employee, you know, it was a very democratizing experience to be um, in lockdown. No matter where you were in the world, everyone was experiencing the same thing at the same time, maybe different personal circumstances or whatever the case may be. But for the most part, in terms of you know, trying to keep the continuity of the business, um, there were you know, tremendous challenges to, to stay engaged and stay connected. And I think that vulnerability that was shared you know, had a lot to do with people's willingness to contribute new ideas and to drive the innovation that we spoke about earlier. And, you know, that short-term momentum of really understanding what's happening in people's homes and in their personal lives, you know, and then, you know, continuing to go on that adrenaline. Um, because to be honest with you, you know, the crises, especially for those of us that live and work in the U.S., you know, we're just beyond even the pandemic, um, a lot of what was happening in the political landscape with climate change and so on. So there's just so many things happening at the same time. Many of us ran on adrenaline for, um, for very, very long. So how do you shift from that feeling of, you know, constantly being um, disrupted to feeling more connected and feeling more at ease 
um, within ourselves, as you say, you know, the spiritual piece, and then, you know, together with the team. And it's kind of almost, you know, building on what we were speaking about earlier, the marathon versus the sprint, the stamina that's been required to, you know, continue to manage through some of the day-to-day challenges is where, you know, really being compassionate um, to ourselves. And, you know, you, you always feel like there's more that can be done. And, you know, there's more that you can learn about where people are at and their, their individual challenges. So being compassionate and understanding that, you know, some of those bright spots did come through, maybe from individuals that you didn't expect, you know, to see some of those, you know, really cool, creative ideas. How do you give them the space that they need to work through their individual experiences, but at the same time still push them towards, you know, being the best that they can be and and helping the business to continue to grow and evolve? I think that's the balance that I think about a lot, you know, just being mindful that you don't want to put unnecessary pressure on people. You don't want to push the burnout. I think pandemic fatigue, as you were mentioning, is a real thing. Um, I've I've just taken a break and I am sharing that with you before we started. It made a huge difference. So I think encouraging people to really, really disconnect. Um, During the summer, people weren't taking their typical vacations because there was really nowhere to go and nothing to do. And so I think we haven't really gotten the proper rest um, in a way that we've been accustomed to, and it, it can definitely backfire. So the spiritual question is a really good one and wellness, well-being, you know, taking breaks within the day, giving people time to recover, um, just going back to that sprint and, and marathon analogy is going to be really, really critical um, in, you know, in the coming months, because I think there's going to be headwinds, not just from a business perspective, um, within individuals' companies, but you know the vaccine rollout is is moving fairly slowly in the U.S. and um, you know most children are still you know doing school from home, so individual family circumstances remain quite challenging. So one is I'm not sure saying that in all management sits in ivory tower, but then when you talk about, you know, dealing with compassion, allowing them the flexibility, asking them to take a break, which we should anyways do, and we must be doing it and all all the progressive companies do. What have we been able to do to not necessarily probe, but ask the people that what would it take for them to feel comfortable enough that the adrenaline level comes down and that would create the creativity or develop the creativity or bring back the creativity, which we always thought our people had. When you ask them those questions, yeah. what did people say? What did they want besides what you're offering them? I think that, you know, with all the uncertainty that we experience day in and day out, employees want communication and clarity as much as possible. And when we know something that we can share and explain, we do it. And when we don't, we're transparent about that as well. And I think that creates an environment of trust and an environment of trust gives you, you know, the psychological safety that you need to really learn about where people are at and accommodating those, 
you know, circumstances in a way that people feel that they can con- contribute the best that they can for this point of time. So that sharing, I think, is is important. And I think also the role modeling, um, giving them the examples so that they don't have to ask, is it okay? Um, but really sharing candidly, you know, we, we had a town hall meeting today and the executive team was actually saying, listen, I have to get up and walk about my home and I've actually got to be mindful of know how loudly I'm speaking because my child is taking an exam. So giving, you know, that permission by explaining how, you know, the most senior leaders in the organization are trying to accommodate very, very similar things. Um, And, you know, really putting a lot of evidence behind the words um, to allow people to feel that, you know, because there's a lot of risk of pulling back. And I think in the beginning, we saw a lot less honesty because people were afraid to lose their jobs. And now that we've been able to, you know, deliver and my company delivered incredible results. And so obviously we're, we're riding a, a wave of optimism, um, which is fantastic. And it makes people's confidence go up, but that's, you know, something that we all have to continue to work towards as well. See, whenever historically, when we had companies who would primarily focus on shareholder value, there would be a churn and burn and all kinds of things. And perhaps innovation is not always their forte as a result of how the single focused approach, you know, would never get employees to be all, all thinking all innovation. And that would not happen in even during pandemic. Anyone, it will prevent anyone who thinks even a little bit more about shareholder compared to employee uh, value, they would see people getting turned off. But that doesn't mean that business and Wall Street is going to spare you if you show lackluster results. So should you be insulating those pressures from the employees that you're getting from Wall Street or, and you take a hit because otherwise you will be you know, spiraling down? So how has business changed its approach? Balancing what it takes to run a business and what it takes to keep that business running with the employees, which are the very backbone of an organization? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, from an innovation point of view, what is the short-term versus the long-term play is just continuing to reinforce that it's everybody's job and that the the future really is uncertain. And that's where some of that short-term energy and focus is needed um, because, we do have to drive execution and make sure that we're responding to shareholders' needs, but that doesn't have to be, um, you know, at the at the risk of doing some of the, you know, longer term and, and you know, forward looking activities that take more patience and take more, you know, to be honest with you, different set of metrics. So performance is very measurable. We ha- we're really good at figuring out, you know, the, the measurements around whether we've achieved the, tar- the business targets or not. We're not really good at saying, this is how we measure learning. This is how we measure progress around innovation. This is how we continue to fuel, you know, the agility of continuing to drive um, an innovation agenda. So I think that's an opportunity that, that we have to build you know, the the muscle that you're speaking about 
from the long-term perspective, because innovation is going to be the fuel for that, where more collaboration with competitors, with smaller companies, with partners, breaking down those internal silos is going to, you know, create an environment that people want to work in as well, because the complexity is not going to dissipate. It's only going to increase. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And let us talk about the very people who you're working with. And you want them to, you know, essentially experiment. But at the same time, they already have more than a spilling plate. They have an overload. They've even complained about burnout before crisis as well. Now it's compounded. Would it be too uh, crazy for anyone to ask for them to, hey, take a step back, dream up a few ideas so that company can build this culture of innovation? What is the so-called readiness effort that needs to go, uh, that should be put in place, which would become a prerequisite before you can dream up the culture of innovation type of an idea? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back and explore. Are you holding back from embarking on your transformation journey due to the uncertainty of business value and associated risks? What if you had a partner who could contractually guarantee cost, time, and effort saving, and new revenue potential from day one? Introducing Digital Managed Services by Hexaware. With its unique model, Hexaware turbocharges your digital transformation across both front and back office operations and delivers it at lower cost, reduced effort, improved efficiency, and higher straight-through processing while opening new avenues of revenue generation contractually guaranteed from day one. To learn more, visit Hexaware.com today. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. You are listening to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjo Gall. Now, back to the show. Welcome back. Professional overload, personal challenges. These are what is, I would call, as the life of an individual who's working, leaders and managers and frontline employees combined. Is it a good time for us to ask them to step up, go the extra mile, keep the sparks flying, and build that narrative which will sustain for the times to come? And if you got that done, I know you shared some ideas about you know, keep talking to them and get them to uh, deliver on it and they somehow stepped up. But what's a practical approach? Because many people, if I were to take a human at a time, 
they would not just buy it because they're saying you already have overloaded my plate. I've yet to see anyone, at least I know in technology in other areas too, they never said they have less work. That's for sure. I, I think even if we were to ask this question without the current events or events of last year, we would find ourselves in the same situation where employees really struggle to find the time to be innovative. And it's because there are a lot of barriers. There are investment barriers, there's strategic barriers in terms of you know, being very, very clear about what, how innovation fits into the overall strategy and transformation. There's obstacles from a process point of view. There's internal politics that get in the way. So at this point of time, because we've seen some of those sparks, I think, you know, how the short answer is no, we don't want to to stop it. We want to make sure that the pipeline of, of innovation continues to flow and that individuals can become part of that process in ways that are very specific. And this is where I think if you if you look at innovation more broadly, we tend to be a little bit, you know, too, well, great ideas can come from anywhere, but then we don't provide the scaffolding for how to actually bring it to life. And each employee is going to have a different strength that he or she can bring to an innovation opportunity. And I think that's an area where we can absolutely create learning opportunities and leverage the strengths that each each individual can bring. So for example, within a technology organization, you may have, you know, some people that are great at coming up with ideas, um, but maybe really not good at constructing those ideas or selling those ideas or commercializing those ideas. So bringing bringing, um, multiple functions along on the journey so that one individual doesn't feel, you know, like the pressure to take an idea from one step to the next, um, because he or she may not have the full complement of skills to, you know, go through a prototyping exercise or, you know, in the future, even to scale something. So really breaking down innovation, taking a close look at what those barriers are and bringing teams together to, um, to make everyone feel, you know, incentivized and, you know, hopefully in, an enjoyable experience because most people tell you when they go to a hackathon, and I've had many experiences with hackathon, that they wish they could take that energy back into their day job. And, you know, this is, this is where I think that whole, you know, scaling of ideas and creating that ongoing culture where that is employee driven, where those ideas do surface fairly quickly without a lot of, um, you know, framework around them. And you, you get those ideas and then people, you know, don't actually build that muscle. And that's the opportunity that we have to, not apply so much pressure, but continue to invest in those innovative ideas and be honest about what's getting in the way, whether those are strategic barriers, cost barriers, process barriers, political barriers, um, so that people feel like it's worthwhile. So like you mentioned, like within your department, you did something. I'm sure your counterparts in other departments are also trying to take the respective teams and, and do something so that it creates the sparks. And in many cases, many of your projects might be interdepartmental or maybe you're providing the support, technology support to another department like marketing or who's, whichever uh, needs it. And then maybe you and that department collaborate. 
Now imagine the culture of innovation anyway has to span across the organization. So a siloed approach or maybe one or two departments working on something to make that project successful versus another department not doing it as much. And that means a lack of holistic approach. Do you think it's going to get us to where we want to be? And, and the second part of this question is HR, which traditionally is supposed to allow the workforce development related, uh, it's responsible for that activity. And we are supposed to invest in that part. And now we know people are the biggest assets. Are they stepping up as the horizontal shared service, if you will, to help you folks in your respective department, interdepartmental innovation, so that it converts collectively, cumulatively into that culture of innovation? I think that this concept of having cultural hacks to drive innovation, you know, extends beyond HR, but I do think HR has a role to play in helping to facilitate the training and the incentives around a lot of what we're talking about. So for sure, I think they're a key partner. In terms of the silos and the different functions of the business that you know really can be more joined up, I think that's a major opportunity. And one where, you know, as we start to think about the future and hypothesize about you know, what the future can hold, driving that experimentation and a mindset that is really challenging what's happening day in and day out. Um, that, you know, that doesn't have any one particular um, sponsor. It, it's getting you know, everyone on the same page in terms of what's worth going after. It has to be worth going after. And once it's identified that it is, then you know you, you you mobilize the team and you mobilize the resources behind it. And that's how you can shift from the current way into the new way is really only through the collaboration. So culture is typically seen as a softer organizational performance metric, or at least the way an organization is performing. Would you be able to put some sort of a measure on it for it to be like, you know, when since you run, so you have a goal, so that makes you going and then you keep improving on it, right? So what you measure is what you improve. Are there ways which you feel organizations, and I'm sure something you might have done, done in your organization too, to put some number, some soft, some hard metric, which everybody looks up to and say, folks, let's join hands to achieve this. Can there be something like that for culture of innovation? I think so. And it's, it's sort of an opportunity. Again, we spoke about not really having a lot of metrics around learning. And one of the um, aspects around evolving culture is the degree to which we all feel like we can learn and grow. I think the degree to which employees feel connected and engaged is something else that can be measured. We are definitely doing that in my company on a quarterly basis, really temperature checking asking about, you know, the degree to which people feel like they can really be themselves, um, which is, you know, tied obviously to diversity and inclusion and how well are we doing with, you know, really just uh, um, beyond that and just helping people to, um, you know, navigate some of the challenges that have been brought on by the, the pandemic and the degree to which they feel clarity on the overarching purpose of the organization. So all of those are really measurable. 
And all of those can be tied back to the effectiveness of the communication of the leadership, um, you know, the, the different signals that are happening day in, day out about what we're telling people that we're doing around wellness and well-being, but what, what we are actually doing in terms of the behaviors that get accepted and rewarded. So I definitely think so. Uh, I, I feel that innovation and diversity and wellness and well-being are all the very much tied to our ability to evolve um, and, and strengthen you know, beyond, beyond uh, what's happened during the pandemic. Let's take a quick break, listeners. We'll be right back. And let's talk about if you were to look at the right kind of investment, you know, because it's an initiative, it's change management. It requires some people, time and energy. That means it's going to require some dollars, some form of currency invested. Are we putting the money where our mouth is that we want this culture of innovation and we want everyone to be doing well and at the same time move the company forward. If yes, if I were to think about a budget, what would be the line items for this aspect of investment? Please stay tuned. We'll be right back. Today, enterprise technology is both strategic and global. Each week on CTN CIO Talk Network, IT thought leaders from around the world share their experience with listeners as they discuss with Sunjog All how they are trimming costs and partnering with business to innovate and help IT become more competitive, better care for customers, and improve the corporate bottom line. If you want to keep up with IT thought leadership, listen to CTN CIO Talk Network with Sunjog All at CIO Talk Network. Are you holding back from embarking on your transformation journey due to the uncertainty of business value and associated risks? What if you had a partner who could contractually guarantee cost, time, and effort saving, and new revenue potential from day one? Introducing Digital Managed Services by Hexaware. With its unique model, Hexaware turbocharges your digital transformation across both front and back office operations and delivers it at lower cost reduced effort, improved efficiency, and higher straight-through processing while opening new avenues of revenue generation contractually guaranteed from day one. To learn more, visit Hexaware.com today. You are listening to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with Sunjog All. To learn more about our program, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome. So, Danielle, if you had to create a budget uh, and you had to have put, I mean, I'm sure you create budget, but if an organization had to create budget, which cuts across departments, etc., uh, what would those line items look like? Can you account for the investment made so you can also show ROI and so people don't see this just as another cool and fuzzy thing we are doing, but it's treated seriously and people invest towards it? Well, I have definitely seen innovation funds uh, and several companies that I've worked in um, as basically a seed investment for innovative ideas um, that are typically 
either sponsored based on a known business problem or that are developed through hackathons, as I was mentioning earlier. So I've seen that um, that methodology, if you will. I've seen that work. I've seen ideas ideas scale from that. I think more broadly, as we think about culture and as we think about breaking down the barriers to innovation, we have to sustain those uh, investments over time and think about where we can move the needle incrementally because you're going to see most of your ideas come from the incremental innovation that you were highlighting at the start, um, whereas the radical innovation takes a much longer period of time. So making sure that there is capital that gets freed up to keep that engine going um, is very important. And having the criteria around what's really worth investing in and what's really worth scaling, which would require then again, more investment once you get out of the prototyping stage. Um, so I think organizing around those principles of you know, investing in the early idea, helping to nurture it with an investment of not only, it's not just money, it's, it's executive support, it's sponsorship, you know, it's a commitment to really supporting these, these tiger teams that are uh, you know, bringing these sparks to life, as you call them. So I think there's a multitude of resource, if you will, um, some of which is financial, um, but other that's much more intangible, but equally important. So now we spoke about budget, so let's talk about who should own this. Because it cannot be one person, it cannot be one department. It has to be the whole organization, but if everyone says I own it, that means no one does. Yeah, it's interesting. I've been in in technology roles really throughout my whole entire career. And most of the time, innovation gets assigned to the technology function. And um, it's challenging because there is a lot of pressure on IT organizations. And, you know, there's certainly an amazing foundation from which to build off of emerging technology to drive innovation. But I agree with you. I, I think that it shouldn't necessarily be one owner. Um, I think executives are, you know, very much focused on figuring out what is the North Star and what is that, you know, kind of future looking continuous foresight that needs to be, um, you know, evaluated and um, really focused on over time. So I think it's that cross-functional team where it begins um, in terms of the support, but I think that the, and, and the sponsorship, but the ideas, once again, they can come from anywhere um, and then nurtured, nurtured all along. So I don't think it's really any one owner, although typically you will find that the budget or that the perception of the ownership may lie in one part of the organization, which is really a fallacy because, for example, the R&D side of the business, their whole, you know, their bread and butter is, is innovation, so uh, this is another opportunity that I think we have um, at this inflection point to really think about how to own innovation across the different functions of, of the organization. If you had to give some advice to people to run innovation or build innovation uh, as a business, right? You build a business or you run a business. You take a very methodical set of steps. You don't want it to go down. It's not a nice to have. It is imperative that you do innovation. How would you run differently? 
I think you have to have champions for good ideas because I think we all acknowledge that they're apparent and we're now engaging, you know, more and more with our employees. So listening for them, championing them, um, and really putting a discipline around, you know, investing beyond just the learning exercise in and of itself. I think that's very, very valuable. But then, you know, tying that to the business objectives and the business goals is where some of that ecosystem that um, you know, many of us need to invest in comes into play. Um, you know, really looking beyond the organization that you work in for inspiration. Um, I, I think that you know, sometimes we always feel that it has to be, you know, born from within, but that's not necessarily the case. You know, looking at different you know, shifts as we were speaking about in the beginning in consumer patterns, um, behaviors, preferences, just, you know, thinking beyond, you know, what's happening within our own enterprises, I think could be very, very valuable. And, you know, giving, as I said, giving people the opportunity to flex where they're most comfortable. Um, you know, we, in, in technology, for example, we have a lot of people that are amazing at analysis um, and, and, you know, when paired up with other disciplines in the company, you know, when you go through kind of that life cycle of ideating and designing and implementing and then eventually scaling, um, you know, being able to pair people up, I think, is where you can get a lot of success. Say dropping the standard framework of getting the people from the top driving innovation. Here we spoke about employee-driven innovation and almost take a back seat as leaders? Yeah, I think, you know, just from the prior question about where does it, who owns it? Um, I think everybody owns it, but there is a responsibility of the leadership team to create the um, ingredients of success. And we talked a little bit about where some of those inhibitors will often come into play. So being mindful of, you know, making sure that those blockers are, um, are managed and that employees think that it's worth their time. Cause as you said, you know, we're really trying to be cautious about how much added pressure people feel, but once it innovation, people believe that it's part of their day job, it's sort of a natural flow of creative ideas that the enterprise can maximize. Once again, thank you so much, Danielle, for sharing your insights about how organizations can build and sustain an employee-driven culture of innovation. Thank you. Thanks, Sanjog. So listeners, uh, please connect with us on social media and subscribe to our podcast. Once again, thank you for listening to CTN. This is your host, Sanjog All. Till next week, take care and God bless. Thank you for tuning in to CTN, CIO Talk Network, with your host, Sunjo Gall. To learn more about our program or for show archives, comments, or questions, please visit CIOTalkNetwork.com. Thank you again for listening.